This is In Focus on WSIU. I'm Jeff Williams. Every day we hear something about the state of the economy, status of jobs, the rate of inflation, interest rates, and near-record consumer debt. What does it mean and what should we understand? Richard Vague is an American businessman, venture capitalist, and the former Secretary of Banking and Securities for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He's written a new book, The Paradox of Debt, A New Path to Prosperity Without Crisis. I recently talked with Vague about the book and our current state of the economy. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. Debt levels are, you know, almost at a record high. And, uh, you know, most of that is on the private debt side, which is households and business debt. And there's actually more private sector debt than there is government debt. In the U.S., it's about $40 trillion as compared to $30 trillion in government debt. And globally, it's about $150 trillion in private sector debt versus $90 trillion in government debt. So it's the bigger issue. It's the one that more directly impacts economic outcomes. And as you've suggested, the fact that the levels are so high really just burden the economy down more than it otherwise would be. I'm old enough to remember vividly the the late 70s and the early 80s. I remember when people were rejoicing over being able to get a 13% new car loan because it was a really great rate in 1981. Is this a similar situation that we're seeing now? Are there Are there similar characteristics? Well, interestingly, you bring up 1981, and debt levels were actually very low at that point in time. <laughs> Debt to GDP, you know, I call that in the book the beginning of the era of the great debt explosion. Debt to GDP, total debt, was 125% of GDP, and today it's over 260%. So it's more than doubled in that period. I, I think the one thing that is a little bit similar between then and now is we had disruption in the oil supply that pushed upwards on inflation. Back then, it was way more significant than it is now. Remember OPEC and all that. And, you know, oil went from $4 a barrel to $40 a barrel in that period. We had rampant inflation. Today, our inflation has come, you know, has been more related to the pandemic and the war in Ukraine. Uh, in 1979, inflation reached 15%. This time around, it only reached 9 And the good news is that last week, it came in at 3%. Not quite to the Fed's target, but the news is a lot better and a very different situation than the Paul Volcker, you know, 20% in 1980 and 81. Mm-hmm. Is all debt bad debt, or is there some positive ramifications of, of having certain types of debt? Well, we call the the book the paradox of debt for a reason. And to get to the heart of it, you know, debt can be very good and can be very bad. And the economy can't grow without growth in private sector debt. We, we've, a company wants to build a factory or you want to build a new house. Uh, you pretty much always have to resort to debt and that debt can be good and productive. And we talk about avoiding, you know, the kinds of debt that might not be so helpful to, you know, borrowing for a vacation might not be the wisest thing to do. But the real trouble comes uh, 
in two ways. One of them is when private sector debt increases too rapidly, as it did from 2002 to 2008, it brings can bring a global financial crisis. We we had uh, mortgage debt going from five trillion to ten trillion in a little over four years, and as we all know now, that we built millions of homes with that debt that were never sold and. Mm-hmm. Loans were made that were never repaid and what have you. So that's a big way that debt can be a problem. And then the way we just talked about, which is just having too much of it means that, you know, from a personal perspective, you have to divert more of your income than you'd like to, to, to paying down debt or paying interest on debt. And that, if there's too much of that broadly, that slows the economy down. Mm-hmm. We hear a lot of debate lately about whether whether we're looking at a recession, whether it's not a recession, um, you know how much inflation is 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 warranted, and and and, and how much is going to be be detrimental. I, I get it that it's kind of a balancing act, but where where do if you're looking at it right now, where where do the scales kind of rest? You know, generally speaking, I'm going to go out on a limb here and be generally speaking. The U.S. economy is an okay shape, particularly compared to the rest of the world. Uh, one of the reasons I would say that, and this is a very different circumstance than existed in 2007 and 8, mm-hmm. but one of the things that kind of is, you know, a, the good news underneath it all is we don't have nearly enough of a supply of homes. Back in 07, we had 4 million unsold homes which is about twice as many as we should have had. So no matter what we did, the building industry had to lay fallow for a few years and let demand catch up to supply. Mm-hmm. Lower interest rates didn't help because, you know, if you already have too many homes, <laughs> nobody's going to build them. And, and no matter what interest rates are, mm-hmm. we have the opposite situation today. We only have about 880,000 uh, unsold homes where we should have about 2 million in more normal times that that's really a historical low so as soon as the fed eases off interest rates which we believe they should do sooner rather than later we're going to have a nice rebound uh in the economy Uh, so my prediction is moderate to low growth you know over the next year or two maybe a slight recession but not a bad recession uh, and, and generally speaking, we're going to perform better than the rest of the world. You mentioned that. I just wanted to circle, circle around to something. You mentioned how the, the U.S. economy is right now seems to be in okay shape, especially compared to looking at other, other uh, economies, other countries. How is it the U.S., how is our economic model in the U.S. different than some of our counterparts uh, in other parts of the, of the world? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, you, people use kind of amusing metaphors here, like the tallest midget or the, the one-eyed man is the, the king in the land of the blind or whatever. But, you know, our debt levels, even though they're problematic, are not at the level of many of the other countries, uh, major countries in the world. So, for example, our private debt is 160% of GDP. Well, China's equivalent of private debt is way higher than that, and they're having all sorts of problems now. The Evergrande problem that you've read about mm-hmm. uh, on the public debt side, you know, our public debt is 130% of GDP. Well, in Japan, it's 250% of GDP. So, 
you know, we're, we're a big market with relatively better numbers than most of the rest of the world. Uh, you know, I think things are kind of, you know, we have kind of a reshoring of manufacturing going on right now. We have a lot of things that are, you know, okay to good that are working in our favor. One of the things you, you, that you talk about, and I, I wanted to, to reach to touch on this, uh, because we're here at a we're at a university, so obviously I work with a lot of students. So I see students come and go, and student debt is something that the university really tries to work with. The students are working with. I see directly how it impacts families. Um, I know what my wife and I struggled with when our our kids were were were, were going through college. This whole idea of student debt, and it's kind of forefront right now at the national scene as as the current administration is, is wanting to try to do something about about student debt. Is this a problem that we manufactured ourselves? Are we a victim of our of our own own successes here? Or was this something that was inevitably going to come to head at some point? You know, we did shoot ourselves in the foot a little bit. We liberalized student lending rules. And, uh, you know, a little over 10 years ago, student debt was $250 billion. Today, it's $1.8 trillion. Uh, and that's really a function of two things. One of them is generally rising tuition, which is a problem I think we all recognize. And the other is there were a lot of for-profit colleges came out that took advantage of liberalized student lending uh, rules and gave a lot of degrees away that really didn't help folks earn a lifetime living increase. And uh, so that's that's been tightened up a little bit. Uh, but... You know, there's 43 million Americans with a student loan. And as I've gone around the country, it's not just 20 and 30-year-olds. I would come across families where, you know, the 50- and 60-year-old parents still were paying off their student debt and at the same time co-signing on their children's student loans. So it's it's a pervasive issue. Is there, from an economic perspective as you're looking at it, is, is there... Is there a solution? I'm, I'm, I, there's no easy solutions, obviously, but is there a is there a solution for how we look at this particular type of yeah, debt in the future? I, I think there is a better way to go about it, and what I've suggested in the book is that we uh, let folks do voluntary community service as a way to begin to mitigate or uh, get some relief from their student debt. You know, we have that precedent because, you know, if you serve in the military, the Peace Corps, if you take a, a job in the government, you can, with a number of years service, get your debt forgiven. Well, I would like to see that extended to the private sector uh, in the form of the ability of folks to do, you know, a few hundred hours of community service as a way to get a, a significant reduction in their debt. Is there a particular aspect or area of of our current debt that you think needs maybe more focus or attention than what it has received? Well, the biggest area by far on the household side is always mortgage debt. Mm -hmm. uh, we have about a little size $20 trillion worth of household debt in the U.S. About $13.5 of that is mortgage debt. So that's the place to always uh, pay the most attention. And we what we saw in the pandemic is folks were given relief for having to pay their mortgages, mortgage payments. But what lenders have done is, in a lot of cases, is just tack 
that on the back end of the loan. So in some cases, the amount owed is actually increased because of that dispensation. So we've suggested a plan where if folks would like to, this would be voluntary, they could get reduction in their loan principal and their monthly payments in exchange for giving, giving the lender some upside when the house is eventually sold, maybe a quarter of the gain or half the gain, whatever's negotiated. Mm -hmm. That would be kind of the debt-to-equity swap that would give a household significant cash flow relief you know, over the next few years. I know you, you mentioned that in, in general that U.S. economy looks to be, be, be in, in, in okay shape, and I, and I know... Uh, my dad was a small business person, and I know our 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 economy is 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 a series of 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 ebb and ebb and flows. Um, what is the next cycle that you foresee us going with where we are and and the current status of things? You know, predicting the future of the economy is a dangerous game. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mean to put you out uh, so, of a limb there. I was just <laughs> but but I I, I kind of call it. Uh, I, I expect us to see what I would call the sideways economy. That things aren't going to be terrible. They aren't. We aren't going to have a boom. You know, we're going to be kind of somewhere in that middle ground. And I don't think that's a terrible place to be. I'd like the Fed to ease off interest rates. That'll give some relief. Uh, and you know, I would like for us to continue to invest. You know, in uh, the future in terms of technology and medicine. We see a lot of really extraordinary breakthroughs there in areas like uh, mRNA research and uh, solutions for cancer and genetic engineering. We, of course, have this artificial intelligence thing everybody's talking about. There are some real opportunities out there if we thought we were thoughtfully invest in them. But I think generally we're going to be in that middle ground over the next few years. I wanted to just get your take kind of quickly because you, I know you talk a little bit about it in, in terms of about in inflation. And if we look specifically at like the uh, consumer price index, we know that there have been some um, some some significant downward changes in, in some of the key 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 sectors there. But other sectors are still you know, there's been you know, are higher than what they have historically um, historically been. Um, where do you think we are in terms of inflation? And should we can we even really call it inflation? You know, I would call it moderate inflation at this point in time, and I think that's what we're going to see over the next couple of years. And I would expect it to be in that three to four percent range, maybe a little higher in some periods. Uh, you know, if you look globally, you know, you've got China, which is the second largest economy in the world, now has zero inflation and are very concerned about deflation. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I you know, we, we have we really haven't had that many episodes of inflation in U.S. history, and they've normally come back to Earth pretty quickly. Uh, the wild card to me mm -hmm. is the war in Ukraine, because we we kind of. We saw, you know, those two countries, irrespective of your politics, those two countries represent major exporters in wheat, oil, and natural gas to the world. Uh, prices shot up in those commodities. They've come back to earth somewhat. But, I, you know, there's reason to believe, you know, Ukraine is about to have their grain exports shut off again by Russia. And, you know, we may feel that a little bit. Places like Egypt are going to feel that really hard and 
you know, that that's a wild card that could keep inflation from coming all the way back to the 2% we want for it to be at. Mm-hmm. Bring it full circle here. Um, what do you hope that the, the, the readers that pick up the book and uh, and really give it some thought, what do you hope they take away from what? Well, yeah. one of them is that, you know, there's been this obsession with government debt at the exclusion of or at the neglect of private sector debt. But private sector debt and the trends associated with it have more to do with economic outcomes than public debt. So, you know, things like the programs we discussed are mm-hmm. not marginal things. They're things that ought to be central to our thinking. So I think if you read the book, you're going to be better informed about the global economy. Uh, you're going to be in a better position to judge policy recommendations. You may even be, even though this is not the purpose of the book, you're probably going to be in a better position to make personal financial decisions as well. We just like folks to, to have a better, broader understanding of the economy. That's Richard Vig, the former Secretary of Banking and Securities for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and a venture capitalist. His new book is The Paradox of Debt, A New Path to Prosperity Without Crisis. I'm Jeff Williams. This is In Focus on WSIU, your NPR station.